All right. Good morning, familia. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Hannibal, uh, and I want to welcome you all again, especially those that are visiting for the first time and worshiping with us online for the first time. As always, we are so glad that you are part of the church today. Uh, we continue with our series on the Gospel of Matthew, and today, as uh, Pastor Brent says, we are starting a new section called the King's Parable, uh, in which we're going to be looking into six different parables found in Matthew 13 alone. Um, so once again, if you have a journal, if you haven't picked the new icon, the new sticker, please grab one. Um, and I, I just, a quick word, if you had a journal and you lost it, a journal with the word of God in it, <laughs> don't worry, the Lord forgave you. Stop by the lost and found because we have like 20,000 of those over there. <laughs> and if you don't have a journal do not worry. Go to the lost and found and you might get one for free. <laughs> Halfway done. You don't even have, need to work on that thing. The parable we're looking in today, we're going to spend some time thinking about, um, it's a famous parable. It's actually the parable of the sower. And just in case you're not familiar with the term parables, the parable is a made-up story made up by Jesus that the purpose of it, or the purpose behind it, is to communicate truth and stimulate your thinking. Parables are stories that Jesus made up to give us profound truths in a very simple way. Like one of the ways the scholars put it is, parables are earthly stories with heavenly meanings. What is interesting, though, is that in almost every single one of the parables, Many of them, many of them start with the phrase, the kingdom of God. So one of the reasons why Jesus wrote these parables or created these parables is to give us a picture of what the kingdom of God looks like. The kingdom that he came to bring in which God is king over every area of our lives and every sphere of our lives. So the question that I'm going to try to answer today is, where does that kingdom start? What is the location in which that kingdom begins? And to do that, to answer that question, I have three points for today. We're going to talk about the heart of the kingdom, the fruit of the kingdom, and the seed of the kingdom. The heart, the fruit, and the seed of the kingdom. Let's go with point number one, the heart of the kingdom. Let me explain first why is it that I use the word heart for this first point. It's because I want to I wanna make sure that you understand that the kingdom of God never starts outside of you. That the kingdom of God always starts inside of you in your heart. That the place where the kingdom of God starts is always in people's hearts. That's why this parable is so significant. And that's why Jesus starts with verse 3 explaining the parable in which he says, and he told them many things in parables saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. Now it's important for us to know that the farmer in this parable is God. It is God the one that takes the initiative. It is God the one that goes out. It is God, it is God the one that is interested in his people. It's not people looking out for God. It is God looking out for people. 
He takes the initiative. He is going out to plant these seeds. The seeds in the story, it's a metaphor for God's message or God's word. It's something that God wants to communicate to the people he is saving. And the place where that seed is planted, the text says, where that word is planted, that message is planted, is in people's hearts. And you see that clear in verse 19 when it says that the seed was sown in the heart. So the metaphor for the word heart in the text is the soil. Now, why would the heart matter so much? Why not just appeal to, I don't know, behavior? Why not just tell you that you got to have the right ideas? Why use the word heart? But one thing that you can learn when you, when you read, especially the New Testament, actually the entire Bible, but a lot of emphasis in the New Testament, is that God always describes the heart as the controlling agent behind everything we do, everything we love, everything we care for, and everything we hate. The heart is the controlling agent, the center of control behind everything we do, everything we love, everything we care for, and everything we hate. If that is true, and I believe it is because the Bible says it is, then you are not just the things you do. You are whatever you have in your heart. That's why there's verse after verse after verse in the Bible that puts so much emphasis in the necessity of the heart and the importance of the heart. For example, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, it says that God not only sees your behavior and your appearance, but that God sees the heart behind the appearance. In Psalm 44, for example, it says that God not only sees how we behave, but he sees the secrets of your heart. Isn't that scary? Proverbs 4, for example, says, calls us to guard our hearts because everything flows from it. In Ezekiel chapter 18 says that we all need a new heart. In Luke chapter 6 says that everything that comes out of our mouth comes from your heart. In Jeremiah chapter 17 says that it is our heart what is deceitful and corrupted. And that's why in Psalm 51, King David says, creating me a new heart. Why so much emphasis in the word heart? Because that's what the farmer, God Almighty, our Father, plants his seed. He plants his seed in the hearts of men. Because if the heart is transformed, everything else will be transformed. Because if the heart is renewed, everything else will be renewed. Once again, the Bible talks about the heart as the controlling agent behind everything we do, everything we love, everything we care for, and everything we hate. Church, from God's perspective, your behavior is not enough. From God's perspective, your well, your good behavior is not enough. Your heart must be transformed. Listen, this morning, we all behave well. But what God sees is your heart. Um, I'm assuming that you're familiar with the term deconstructing faith. 
which is something that a lot of ex-Christians, ex-evangelicals, they call them, uh, they call themselves, are walking away from faith either because they experienced something really awful at church or because they had a really awful experience with another Christian or because they're going through something painful that they cannot explain. And the way this group of people are processing this is to deconstruct what they believed in order to find freedom. What is interesting about that, though, is that they walk away from one religion and they embraced another religion, the religion of the self. But you know what? And to a certain degree, I understand why many of these people are doing that. Because I think that we have to pay attention to what the church does, what we do as Christians, and how we process pain. But what is interesting about this group of people, that now there are thousands of them, is that many of them, many of them come from backgrounds in which behavior mattered most. In which you, behaving externally in a way that people would say, wow, is what mattered most. What many of them failed to see is that what mattered most was always the heart. And in order for anybody to deconstruct from that, will not to reconstruct by watching and paying attention to the heart. So what I'm going to talk about for the next two hours <laughs> is the kind of, I just want to see if you were paying attention, uh, the kind of heart that a person needs to have in order to be fruitful, in order for us to live the kingdom of God here on earth until Jesus returns. Or to put it in a different way, four different kinds of attitudes that could either help your heart or hinder your heart. And as we go through this list, I wanna invite you to kind of do a self-assessment. I want you to ask the questions, uh, the question as we go through this list is, is this me? Is this how I see God and his word? Ready? All right, look at the person next to you and say, are you ready? And then you respond, you better be ready. Go ahead. Point out, let's look at the first one here. The careless heart. Look at what it says in verse 4. As, as the farmer was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. And Jesus paints this picture of a field that even though and some sections or some fragments are good soil, there are other parts of the field in which the path is hard. It's usually the path that is along the field in which people step over and over again. And the more you step on the soil, the harder it becomes. And the harder it becomes, the less the seed can penetrate the soil. And the less the seed can penetrate the soil, the easier it is for a bird to come and just have lunch and walk away. That's what he says. Now, the question that you got to ask to the text is, what turns a heart Heart into a hard heart. How does a heart becomes hard? Well, the Bible responds in verse 19 saying, this is when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, 
The evil one comes and snatches away what, the, what was sown in their heart. Notice that the problem is that a person is not listening or hearing. The problem is that the person is hearing what God says and they just don't care. They don't even bother understanding what God says. That will be the difference between hearing and listening. That will be the difference, for example, between just hearing as a religious person or actually paying attention. The text says that a heart can become hard when our attitude is just carelessness. It's to not care. I, let, me, let me make my point clear. Have you ever had a conversation with someone in which clearly the person is not paying attention to you? You could be saying some profound things and the person is just looking all over the place. That happens a lot with kids, right? That's how my dog looks. When I was a teacher, I experienced that every day. How many of you guys are teachers? Uh, pray for you guys. <laughs> every day, you sit in front of a bunch of kids, and the kids really don't care about the things you say. And a kid going like this. And that's 8 o'clock in the morning, people. You know, when I became a, 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 a pastor, I thought that that was going to change. And you're doing it to me, like, right now. <laughs> some of you are like, and some of you guys are like this. I can see it all from here, people. <laughs> it is that kind of attitude that turns a soft heart into a hard heart. It's to not care. It's just do the religious thing and not care. Now, I think that's important to understand and hear because if that's what shapes your heart, that's what is going to shape your life because everything flows from your heart. The second attitude, I'm going to call it the superficial heart. Verse 5. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. And Jesus paints this picture now in which the farmer goes and plants the seed, right? But the soil looks healthy on the top. But right underneath, there's a bunch of rocks. And he tells you that as much as the seed wants to grow, it can't because the soil is shallow. There's nothing profound there. It's very shallow. So the question we got to ask the text is, what does that mean? How does someone become shallow as they hear the word of God? Verse 20. This is someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble and persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Notice what the text says. This is someone that comes to church, opens the Bible, reads the Bible, and within seconds is like, yay! But because the word always demands things of you. 
And he calls you to surrender your will. When troubles and persecutions comes, because you have to surrender your will. When troubles and persecution comes, because you believe different and live different. You are quick to walk away. You are quick to fall away. See, this is the kind of person that has kind of an, uh, an emotional or, oh, no, let me put it this way. A person that has the wrong emotional relationship with God. And I know that there's a person or two here that hears that and says, well, thanks God, I'm not emotional. Which, by the way, that's usually guys. You know what I find interesting and ironic about that? Is that the same guy that just tells me that he's not emotional goes home, is watching a football game, and goes crazy screaming to the screen. <laughs> Maybe you're emotional. <laughs> Maybe you get emotional not when you come to church, but when you talk about work. Maybe you get emotional when you talk about tools. <laughs> See, the problem is not the emotion. I hope you, I mean, listen, if you have been part of the church, you know that I have no issues with emotions. I actually think that emotions are given by God. Emotions is part of our humanity. Enjoy, emotions is what helps us enjoy what the Lord has given us. There's nothing worse when people are worshiping the Lord and says, this is joy. <laughs> That's not joy. That's depressing joy. <laughs> the problem is not the emotions. The problem is, What's behind the emotions? What triggers those emotions? See, what the text shows us is there is a person that can hear the word of God and go crazy within seconds. But that person doesn't know why is it that he should go crazy. See, there's one thing to feel things for the sake of feeling things. And there's another thing to feel things because of who God is and what God does and what he could do. Hey, can I get a little bit personal here? Yes? You said it. Sometimes I struggle with the way we worship. Sometimes you just hear the guitar, ring, and we haven't even said anything yet. And sometimes the worship team is leading us into the presence of God, telling us all these beautiful things about God. And we're like, this is boring. Listen, I, I don't know how can someone have a picture of who God is and not be moved by it. A superficial relationship with God in which we are only driven by shallow emotions and not biblical profound emotions is no relationship with God. Excitement for excitement's sake does not change your life. Excitement because of who God is, thus. you grasping the idea of who God is. Your attitude toward God and his word really matters. Attitude number three, a divided heart. 
Verse 7 says, Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plant. And once again, Jesus is painting this picture of the farmer throwing the seed, and the seed falls among these thorns. And, and, and these thorns are so many, so much on top of the seed, that even though the seed wants to survive, it can't. It's like the seed wants to do better, but it can't. Because all these thorns are taking all the food and the nutrients away from the seed. So the question we got to ask the text is, what is it that chokes the life out of a seed? Verse 22. This refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. And this is the reason why I call this a divided heart. It is possible for you to want to love the Lord well. It is possible for me to really want to love the Lord well. But if I'm obsessed and worry like crazy with this life, and if I'm obsessed, and I fall under the deceitfulness of wealth. As much as I want to serve the Lord well, I can't. He chokes the spiritual life out of me. Listen, Jesus does not say that there's anything wrong with you having things and having money. The key words that you got to pay attention here is the word worry and deceitfulness. I am not calling you, Jesus is not calling you to live poor and to give it all away, even though if you do, that's, that would be a good thing. The Bible is not calling you to give all your money away. I mean, if you want to send it to the church, man, we'll send another 90 missionaries out. That's not what the Bible calls you to do. The Bible calls you to pay attention to the things you worry about and the things that deceive you. Listen, as much as you want to serve the Lord, if you worry way too much about money and what money can buy, you cannot grow. If you really want to love the Lord and be fruitful in your relationship with him, if you worry about how much you can keep instead of how much you could give, you, it is hard for you to grow. If you are more anxious, actually, that would be a good translation of the word worry. If you are more anxious about things than people, you cannot grow. What about deceitfulness? If you and I are deceived by thinking that if we have things and money, we will find complete satisfaction, security, significance, and happiness. That is deceitfulness. You know how vulnerable a person is. Because everything you have, you could lose within seconds. And then what would happen with your satisfaction, your security, your significance, and your happiness? It is deceitful to trust money more than what you trust God. Because money and things promise things that only God can give you. I've used this example plenty of times here, but I think that part of the issue is because we turn those things 
into functional saviors. This is the example I've used. At the end of your days, none of you, none of you, before you die, none of you are going to care about a bigger house, a better car, a trip to Florida. None of you before dying will go, oh my goodness, I didn't fulfill my, my, my bucket list. You know what we all going to say? Lord, give me five minutes. Five more minutes to love the people that I'm supposed to love. Five more minutes to fix the relationships that are broken. Five more minutes to make my life count. Five more minutes. God forbid that we get, that we get there like that. And that happens when we worry way too much about this life. And when we trust way too much what money buys and what money can give us. It's impossible to grow as much as you want. That is the description of the careless heart, the superficial heart, and the divider heart. What then is a better option? What Jesus says that a better option is an attentive heart. Verse 8, still other seed fell in good soil where it produced a crop of 160 and 30 times what was sown. And this leads us to our second point, the fruit of the kingdom. What turns a person into a fruitful person is when the soil or the heart turns into a good soil, good heart. What does that mean? What Jesus says in verse 23. This is the seed, falling on good soil, refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces fruit. The two key words that are so simple to read, so hard to apply. To hear and to understand. What is it? What does the Bible mean when we use the word hear? A good translation of that would be to really pay attention, you know? To go against carelessness, but really pay attention. And the word to hear also can be translated. It's the same word that can be translated for the word to obey. So this is a description that pays attention to God and what God says and really is paying attention because you want your life to be shaped by what you hear. And the word understand is also interesting because obviously it can be translated as comprehend of to grasp. But an even better uh, translation of the word to understand is to put together. It's to be able to see God and what God does and says and try to put all these things together. If I were to put all these two concepts together, this is what the Lord requires of someone that can be fruitful. Is someone that embraces the truth of God with their mind and thinks and meditates and embraces and asks good questions. So if you are going through deconstruction, the best thing you could do is think and ask good questions. But not only ask good questions, but allow the truth of God to move from your head to your heart. 
and that you stare at God's word and think about God's word and hear God's word and think about God, his character and nature to the point that your heart is moved. Not just a cognitive idea, but it's some truth that transforms and makes you feel something different to the point that it affects your will. It's all together at the same time. Church, the only way we will grow, the only way we're going to produce fruit is when we develop attentive hearts. And I want you to hear this. That is the hardest thing to do in our culture today. The hardest thing to accomplish. Do you know why? Listen up. Because that requires that if you're a believer, you and your family are going to have to become countercultural. Meaning that you and your family are going to have to fight against the tyranny of busyness. That you and your family are going to have to fight against this culture that tells you that the faster you run, the better you are. You're going to have to fight against this culture that tells you that stopping to enjoy the presence of God, to ask the right questions, to wrestle with the scripture, to allow the spirit to illuminate your mind is not productive work. See, you and your family going to need to establish good and healthy rhythms, spiritual rhythms. You and your family are going to have to fight against a culture in which everything moves fast. We are the culture of the drive through and the microwave. You and I are part of this culture in which we have fast internet and instant gratification. We are part of a culture in which loud noises are celebrated and multitask is celebrated. You and I are going to have to fight for our hearts and for the hearts of our families. So our hearts won't become hard. So we are driven by the right emotions. So we are not choked by functional saviors. See, you and I are going to have to fight for our hearts. So we see the beauty and the magnitude and the dignity and the beauty of who God is. So we can produce fruit. Actually, the text tells you that when you do that in verse 23, not only we hear the word and understand the word, but we produce, yielding 160 or 30 times what is sown. Notice that growth looks different to different people. But notice that growth is over time. You know, one of the things that I hate about getting older is that I'm losing my hair. And everything hurts. Amen. One of the things that I love about getting older is that I actually think that I'm a better Christian today than when I was 20 years ago. Because for 20-something years, it's fighting for my heart. I still got a long way to go, man. But I'm better than before. 
Is that your priority? Do you have an attentive heart? How about if I tell you that you need more than a good attitude? How about if I tell you that you need more than an attentive heart toward God and his word? How about if I tell you that you need something so powerful that motivates you to want to do that? How about if I tell you that you need something so powerful, so beautiful, so magnificent that not only it invites you but propels you to want to pursue God that way? How about if I tell you that what you need is to see, hear, and understand what the seed is? Point number three, the seed of the kingdom. I don't know if you noticed this, but this parable is super interesting because from verses 1 to 9, Jesus starts talking about the parable. And then from verses 10 all the way to 15, Jesus takes a break. And he talks about a prophecy from prophet Isaiah. And then he comes back to the parable from verses 16 to 23. What's that all about? Commercial? No, 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 Jesus is intentional. Actually, the gospel, Matthew is putting this this way because he wants us to be intentional to see that the seed that the, per, that, that the parable is talking about is the same person prophet Isaiah had talked about before. That's why in verses 14 and 15 says this. The prophecy of Isaiah talking about Jesus is what they might is so they may see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn so God could heal them. That's Isaiah chapter 6. That passage is all about Jesus. And it's to point us that this seed, that the seed that the Bible is talking about, this word, this message, according to John chapter 1, is Jesus. Listen up. That if you really want to see God, you have to see Jesus. That if you want to see the love of God, the compassion of God, the patience of God, the mercy of God, the justice of God, you have to see Jesus in the way he lived. But also in the way he died. This is why the Gospel of John in John chapter 12 uses the same metaphor of a seed to talk about Jesus. And this is what he says. That in order for a seed to produce fruit, not only it needs to come, but it needs to die. You know why that's important? Because it's only when you see Jesus and him crucified. You see how far the farmer was willing to go for you. How much he loves you. How far he was willing for you to hear his heart and his word. To the point that God himself in the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, not only will live the life that no one has lived, but will die the death that we all deserve. If you ever wonder if God is for you, look at Jesus, the seed, the ultimate seed, the word of God, the message of God, dying in a cross in a place of the careless, the superficial, and the divided. Look at Jesus going to the cross with an undivided heart. Look at Jesus not surrendering to the wrong emotions, but surrendering to the will of God. Look at Jesus not only going to the cross, but understanding who you are and how much you needed him. That's where the power comes from, you know? 
Why wouldn't you want to know that God? Why wouldn't you want to be impacted by that God? It's only at the cross when we see the magnitude of our Savior. The magnitude of his love and the beauty of who he is. Listen, if one of you died for me, I would so much appreciate it. <laughs> and I would love you for it. But you're a sinner dying in the place of a sinner. But when you have a God that is sinless, pure, eternal, almighty, dying in my place, that changes everything. Why wouldn't we want to have an attentive heart toward that God and toward his word? Let's pray. My beautiful Savior, we are grateful that we don't have to guess who you are. You spoke. My prayer for us is super simple, Lord. Give us by the power of your spirit, the presence of the spirit, the ministry of your spirit, attentive hearts. Keep us from carelessness, from a superficial relationship with you. Keep us from a hard heart. Keep us from being choked by functional saviors. Please, Holy Spirit, take us to Jesus so we can see his life, death, and resurrection. Take us to the cross and leave us there until not only we want to love him and serve him, but we feel that we want to love him and serve him. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus and the church says,